you and your choices matter and that you as an individual can make, I mean, the whole purpose of the podcast here is, is, is right. Highlighting all of these people who are actively choosing to make the world a better place and what in their own unique way. And I think what's really important is for people to recognize that and recognize that they themselves don't necessarily have to go and do something brand new. They can work with those people who are doing good and they can be a part of the change. They don't have to be creating something brand new and unique that's never been done before. Sometimes we just need to throw our energy behind stuff that exists. Uh, and so that's really something that I, I hope and wish that people knew more is that they can make very large amounts of change with their personal time and their choices. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear one conversation after another that will give you aha moments about the fact that it is still an amazing world. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. In fact, that wave is so hidden by the negative noise in our media that I'm calling that wave a conspiracy of goodness. Yes, it is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we will introduce you to the people who are making it that way. So hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of The Goodness Exchange. That's the mothership website of this podcast. It's a global website where you can have instant access to articles and interviews and videos that point to what's right with the world. If you want some newsworthy insights and innovation instead of all the doom and gloom, you can tap into this podcast and the Goodness Exchange and get a spring in your step today. And that's what we're here to do right now with an amazing guest on our podcast named Christian Haydn. Christian is the founder and director of an innovative project called levointernational.org. It's a project he officially started at the age of 17 in 2017 to address hunger in Haiti after his first visit there. And it has expanded wildly. Christian is a recent graduate of the University of Connecticut with a BS in economics and a concentration in international development. But where he's landed with Levo International is quite extraordinary. And it does prove this point that we talk about so much on the podcast, that there are things that we are uniquely built to contribute, which are a combination of the series of events in our lives. In fact, Christian's project started with an Eagle Scout project when he was 16 years old, and we're going to hear a lot more about that. But Christian is arguably one of these up-and-coming thought leaders that will change the world for many, and we couldn't wait to interview him and get his message out into the world. So, welcome, Christian. Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. Well, I got to tell you, we were introduced to each other by another podcast guest, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, named Sarah Leathers, who is from your region of the United States around Hartford, Connecticut. And Sarah has an amazing project on her own. But let me tell you, when I heard Sarah's accolades about your work, I, I was trekking you down in, in, on the internet within a few minutes. And your internet pro digital footprint is amazing too. So we're going to, I want to start right off by telling people that 
anything that Christian and I talk about, you will find a link to it in the article about this podcast interview on the Goodness Exchange. So join us there for anything that piques your curiosity, links and references that we might make. And and let's start right off with Chris, start a little bit about the history of this project, starting with the Eagle Scout experience. Yeah, sure. So Buffalo really began when I was in high school as a junior. So Boy Scouts, which may be unfamiliar to some people, is a organization where you can learn you learn a bunch of skills and you interact out in your community and in nature and and but to achieve the highest rank in Boy Scouts, which is Eagle Scout, you need to do a project in your community that is going to have some sort of impact. So you can do a Anything from working on trails or, you know, building something for a local organization. And so what I, in my junior year of high school, I was, I was looking to do a Eagle Scout project and I basically stumbled upon hydroponic farming. My scout master was a, was who runs the Boy Scout troop had done it in Haiti. I'm sorry, in the Dominican Republic over 20 years ago now. And he kind of walked me through the technology and the possibilities. And that was really the start. And so I was like, wow, how is this not being done everywhere, all over the world? This is incredible. And this is going to be my Eagle Scout project. And so I worked to figure out, you know, how to build them. The, you know, I got a bunch of, we got, a, I got a bunch of books, worked on the design, how to build the greenhouse sent a proposal essentially to build a demonstration greenhouse for an organization in Haiti. And the basic logic was if it worked in the Dominican Republic, it'll work in Haiti. And so actually the Boy Scouts were not a huge fan of the idea of sending a 16-year-old to Haiti for a number of reasons. And ultimately, I did my Boy Scout Eagle Scout project for my high school and built them a hydroponic greenhouse and then went down separately with my father and my oldest brother who worked with, uh, worked with me to build this, the system for and greenhouse for an organization in Haiti. Okay. So I have to interject here now. Now, so we start with an Eagle Scout project, you know, give some, but give people, cause we're going to talk through this whole thing. But give some people an idea of the scope of what you're doing now. Yeah. So what it has become from that initial Eagle Scout project is really what we describe as a social enterprise that really views food security and food security solutions as a critical leverage point for everything else. And so now what we do is we work not only in Haiti, but is but also in Jamaica and Puerto Rico. And we have done a number of projects here in the United States around really taking hydroponic technology from this initial greenhouse in Haiti and from my high school to building whole business models around that in the city of Hartford and around. So it's really grown from that initial project. Wow. And, you know, I th- I'm sure people realize that you're probably solving two separate problems with this. We want to, I want to hear about the actual hydroponics because most of us have heard that term and we know it involves growing food in, in water, but past that, it's, it may be a little bit murky for folks. So we're going to, going to have you explain that, but I want people to understand that, that your project, Christian, is poised to solve two major problems. In America, you know, there's, there's 
amazingly large areas that are, would be considered urban food deserts. And the videos that I've watched that people have produced about your work are so darn inspiring about how this hydroponic plays a role in communities because it takes up so little space, but you can do so much for a community. And then you've got this other whole aspect in, in some foreign countries where you're just literally applying this to major problems of hunger and malnutrition. Uh, this is really, really exciting to see someone at your agent stage going after such a big dream and creating some innovative ways of looking at a very old science. I'm sure hydroponics is thousands of years old, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they go back to ancient Egypt and their uh, fish ponds. So yeah, yeah, it's old, but recently discovered again, yeah. I would say, in the, in, okay, in the so, 1900s. So give us a little bit of the history of hydroponics so we can appreciate your innovations and how you're part of this generation of see it and solve it innovators. Yeah, so hydroponics really, what it, back in ancient Egypt, it would be described actually today as aquaponics. So essentially a method of growing in the water where you get your nutrients from fish, essentially fish excrement. And now in the, in the 1900s, we had really the United States military had these island-based where there was no opportunity for traditional agriculture, but they needed to produce food. And so one of the things that had been researched recently was the opportunities around hydroponics. And so in, in the 1940s, on some of these specific islands, they built metal troughs, which they grew in on the island and produced an impressive amount of, of food. Unfortunately, because it's, the technology was so new and plastics had really not been created yet around this technology, you couldn't, it wasn't just, it was just not feasible unless you're on a remote Pacific Island. And so the technology really died away for a couple decades. It saw a resurgence in the 80s, but it was still really cost prohibitive to do normal agricultural production. And, but that's when you saw things like Epcot come into play, where you can go down to Disney and see all of these hydroponics. Like that's the 80s. You saw this resurgence in the 80s. But in general, it was really just a cool science project. Most of the initiatives where people tried to convert greenhouses and space into hydroponics really did not succeed across the board. Now, you have, through that time period in the 90s and early 2000s, you see countries like the Netherlands, which has very limited land use, begin to really invest in greenhouse technology and hydroponic technology. And today, they're the second largest producer of vegetables in the world. And a lot of that vegetable comes from hydroponic production. And so they went high tech and they, they invested in basically controlling every aspect. So the idea behind hydroponics is really simple. It's that you take all the nutrients that you would normally get from the soil. Basically, the plants usually have to break soil down into those basic building blocks like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And in hydroponics, you just apply that directly. And so it's kind of like hooking an IV up to a plant. So you dissolve those nutrients into the water and then the plant's roots sit in that water and it has a perfect access to those nutrients and water and everything it needs. So what that does is it allows you to focus all of the energy of the plant on upward growth rather than downward growth. And that creates, you know, 25% faster and more production out of a plant. But what's really cool is you build these enclosed systems. So water is not evaporating and it's not running off. 
And so you can save upwards of 90%, if not more, depending on the system you use in hydroponic. It also saves about a three quarters of the space. And so in some of these, some with some of these plants, you can take an acre and put it under glass in a greenhouse and you can get 14 times the amount of tomatoes in the same amount of space that you'd ever be able to achieve in traditional farming practices. So that's what we really saw people investing in is this commercial style. You get a massive facility, you control every aspect of production. It's really expensive to build and it's really expensive to run. And there's a lot of risk. If things go wrong, they go wrong kind of catastrophically. There's a real cascading effect. And so the type of hydroponics that I learned is way less well-known. It's almost a hobbyist style of hydroponics. It's basically called simplified hydroponics. And the idea is you really strip that complexity down to the barest essentials. You're really only controlling for the water and the the fertilizer levels. And so you lose some of that efficiency that you see in the the commercial high-tech vertical growing systems. But what we do is so easy and so simple that it can be made out of simple things like PVC pipe, right? Or even as simple as a five-gallon pail that you've just drilled a couple holes into. But you still retain a lot of that water saving, that space saving, and it's so easy to teach people. And so that's the, that's the hydroponics that I was initially in, was introduced to in, the, in 2016. And really, we began to work and innovate around. All right. So then you've brought this to another level that I want people to feel a sense of celebration about. I think you weren't one of my one of my thoughts about your work is that you're not relying on sort of a charitable model to make hydroponics work in communities, even urban communities or what you're doing in Haiti. You you're building a business model here that has a hyper local approach and can become a win-win-win for everybody. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is we see hydroponics and our approach as really following existing structures. So, you know, there are a lot of communities and there are a lot of groups that are doing great work that just don't have the leverage they need to really enact the change they need. You know, in our work, let's take Hartford, for example. There are dozens of organizations in the city of Hartford, but they're siloed and they're not, they're not necessarily working together, but they serve similar populations. And so what we've been building a model around is, okay, we approach these multiple organizations and we say, hey, we've got this solution. Do you want to be a part of it? Uh, and so that's first part of our model is around partnership. Because we're so, we're introducing such a new and unused technology. We're really the only ones who are doing it in the way that we're doing it. And so we are not competing with anybody. So we're not a threat to a lot of these local organizations. And so we can come in and and support them in a way that another organization may not be, where they'd be perceived as a threat and there's there's a lack of cohesion. So we were able to very quickly in the city of Hartford build a partner list and actual where we actually support and work with them of dozens of organizations. So that was the first thing as we started to really build this network of organizations, both in Haiti and then in and then the United States, that gives us this huge look at a wide range of populations from wealthy to impoverished. We get to connect with a ton of communities that necessarily wouldn't be connected. Then we combine it with, okay, 
this technology is really innovative. Um, it's really easy to teach people and it's really productive. Can How do we take this and make it sustainable? Not just environmentally sustainable, but economically sustainable. And so that's always been our approach. We view donations and grants as investment dollars, as seed funding, like you would a normal business. And so we have taken those donations and grants that we've received and we've built the infrastructure that in the long run will be able to sustain itself. So that's really what we see as critical for systemic change, right? So just growing food and donating it to the food pantry is great and it's important. And that's how you solve the short-term hunger and food insecurity that we see. But how do you end that cycle? And that requires a system that's different than the one that we currently have. It's not just a matter of producing food. It's about producing food so it permanently reaches people consistently. And that's really been our, the way we, we view it is we want to fix the systemic problem. We don't want, we don't want to fix the short-term problems. We will do a little bit of that, but in the long term, what we want is a system that works for everybody. Wow. This is at the heart of lots of the work that we talk to people about on the Goodness Exchange that we feature in, in the articles on the Goodness Exchange that we talk to people about on this podcast. Is that, you know, there's sort of like an innovator's recipe for what's really getting to the top and getting to the heart of problems these days. And that's one of the five things that I talk about in the innovator's recipe is that you found a way to address the needs of all the stakeholders where and the community so that everybody wins. It's just a matter of, I don't know who the famous person was who said this, but it's said that the, that most problems just suffer for a lack of imagination. And it looks like you've really, you know, used the great serendipity in your story to come up with lots of different parts that you've brought together that solve a much bigger problem than you started out at. Absolutely. So talk to me about, let's go down a little list. Like you're, you've got a market-based approach here, which may be sort of a foreign term or a big word for some of us who, who aren't in that aspect of the business world. But you know, you're, you've got the CSA program thing going on. You've got the economic justice going on. You've got technology and bringing economic diversity to communities. Talk to me about how you see those elements in the work here. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we, from very early on, wanted to invest in and have invested in is innovation, is the idea that what we're creating is a business that's out to solve the biggest problem. And if we're going to solve the biggest problems, we need to put resources towards creating solutions for those problems. What you see a lot of nonprofits struggling to be able to do is R&D. Right, is evaluation, is figuring out what is going on and how do we fix that problem and let's, let's build technology and business models around it. And so the first thing that we've really been working on as a, as a social enterprise is putting resources into research and development. And so you know, we just got a grant um, from the Connecticut Department of Agriculture to innovate around organic hydroponic fertilizers. So we're now researching hydroponic fertilizer. We're going to be publishing research around hydroponic circulation, intermittent circulation in our systems, all of those ultimately can create not only in our existing business and work improvements, but also new opportunity where we can continue to grow and adapt to the problems and, and build new solutions. We add that in talking about a market-based approach. Really what that is, is can we create an exchange of goods that is like a business? Right. So you buy your iPhone, right? That's a, that's 
they wanted to create a market-based approach to GPS and communication. So they created the iPhone. So it's the same thing. What we want is a market-based approach to food insecurity, to hunger. And that, what we see is our CSA model, our community-supported agriculture model. And that really looks like, okay, we've got this urban center of the city of Hartford, which is impoverished in a number of ways. In particular, it's one of the worst food deserts in the country. There's very few grocery stores in the urban farming initiatives that we have seen have not seeded mostly because no one buys local produce in the city of Hartford or very small amounts of people do because it's expensive and it's hard to access. And so we looked at that and said, okay, so what we need is we need to be able to connect these urban farmers to better markets so that they can actually sell their produce. And so what we did is we reached out to churches surrounding in and outside of Hartford. And we said, you guys are here every week. What if you picked up your produce every week at your church? And so then what we did is we, they gave us a subscription for the growing season. They gave us cash up front that we could then use to build hydroponic systems, train the growers, and then pay the growers for the produce. So then we had to go work with our community partners in the city of Hartford to recruit growers actively. So some of that was some of our great partners in the city of Hartford, like Literacy Volunteers of Hartford and Knox, who had already done existing initiatives with communities, brought them in, trained them on the new technology. And the beauty of the technology, which is one of the only one of the few innovations that's in this whole model, is that it's really easy to train. It's super space efficient. So in a city, right, you can get a lot more production and a lot less space. And it is really not expensive to get going. So we can turn people who were never farmers into farmers, provide them not only a fresh stream of, of produce, but also income and connect them to those suburban urban markets that are wealthy. Right. So this is a it's all about justice, right? It's all about economic justice and environmental justice. Right, you're empowering populations that have systemically been underserved. You are providing environmental justice. The production of the food is more environmentally sustainable. We're using a fraction of the space in water and fertilizer, but also it's grown ten minutes away from our from our buyer. Right, so they can get as fresh, basically, as it can possibly get, fresh produce. And then, of course, it is it checks all of those boxes, as you said. So it's not just environment. It's not just economic. It's also, you know, it's educational and it's social. And you have all of this that comes into this great little ecosystem that's been created. Uh, I just think that you're on the cusp of something that we really ought to pay attention to as far as this creating kind of a constellation out of otherwise disparate projects in your area, right? I always like to say, if we're all just little points of light operating in a darkness all by ourselves, we can't have nearly the the impact as if we find a way to come together and build a constellation. Because like the Big Dipper, you know, it's just seven stars. But when you look up at the night sky, the Big Dipper is the thing you see first. It, you cannot unsee it once you've seen it. And that's the way I perceive we're headed when folks like you find ways to connect all the moving parts so that everyone amplifies each other. Do you have any concept con- comments on that concept? No, I think that that's really the, what underpins the way that we view these problems is the resources are there. It's not really a matter of creating something that doesn't exist. It's about 
connecting things that already exist, right? There's lots of great organizations that have worked to build trust with local community members. They're just under-resourced. They don't have funding. They don't have the technology. they need. And so our whole business model is really around, can we create leverage for these people? And that's the constellation is, okay, we need the wealthy communities to buy. We need the company to support this project. So it's, it's really about, okay, you guys, are, you guys care about this. Here's an opportunity to work with these people who care about this as well. And connect them. So I'm I'm with you 100%. It sounds that's exactly what we're trying to do with Levo. Well, I'm gonna connect. I'm gonna connect people to something in this genre. We interviewed a, an amazing duo in episode 111 named George and Lolo, George Lolo Smith and George Zerbsky, and they are doing exactly what you talked about in Columbus, Ohio, and they are bring, creating this innovation hub where you can just walk into this 40,000 square foot old building turned innovation hub probably is the best word. And you can just walk up to the front desk and say, hey, I want to do this. I want to fix this problem. And immediately they will connect you with every single resource, every single other project that would be tangentially connected. And all these folks in Columbus are amplifying each other's work. I'd be happy to turn you on to George and Lolo too, Christian, because I I would imagine (laughs) you guys could figure out a lot in common and solve a lot of problems. The other great interview that I've had that relates to this is the very person who introduced me to Christian's work. We've interviewed an amazing innovator named Sarah Leathers, who has an episode in our podcast about her organization called Healing Meals. That is a very famous organization in Hartford. That Now, do you partner with them in any particular way? So not yet. So Sarah and I have only very recently been introduced. So we are actually just beginning the collaboration process. It's one of those things where, and this is one of my favorite things about the work is that I get, you think you've met all of the change makers and all the players, and then you go and you meet three more. And so Sarah is one of those people who's, we've been operating in similar circles for years and I, we haven't yet been connected. And then all of a sudden we got connected and and things are happening. So um, Great. It's well, that exciting. for people, that's an amazing organization that really, really dovetails with what Christian's talking about. If people want to listen to that episode, that's episode 80 on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Oh, I could just keep scrolling down and see as I look at over here on this other screen, the guests we've had. There are so many people I want to introduce you to, Christian. So anyway, let's take a break and I'm gonna I'm gonna connect people with something else that's just marvelous in the world that can help their working lives and find positivity there, turn positivity into a, from an aspiration to a way of being. And when we come back, we'll continue with Kristen Hyden. Thanks. Hi, Dr. Linda here. Many of you know that the mothership website of this podcast is called The Goodness Exchange. And there you can find articles, a video library, podcast, and content collections that point to what's right with the world. You can visit every day and you'll find the antidote to all the negative noise out there in the world. Okay, that solves the problem in our personal lives. We can choose what to give our attention to every morning and end our day with something positive. But what about our work environments? We need to feel supported and come alive in those cultures. But that's becoming harder and harder when most of us go to virtual work. And many of us who are working with others still never have shared positive experiences with our colleagues. By definition, Culture comes from shared experience. So employees find it harder and harder every day to create an environment that attracts 
and retains other great people. Well, enter the Goodness Exchange and our extraordinary content, which celebrates an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. My team and I at the Goodness Exchange are making certain that employees of optimistic, values-driven companies have instant access to the positive news out there today. Because science is telling us that it's time to start celebrating what's right with the world. And here's the thing. There are so many positive stories out there about astounding solutions to some of our world's biggest problems, about wonders and leaps in human potential. But most are going completely uncelebrated. Your culture can change that and can be changed by a new focus on goodness and progress. In fact, with all that negative noise out there, your work culture can be infused by a sense of flourishing. People can be sharing ideas and swapping stories of wonderful, ingenious solutions around the water cooler again. With instant access to good news, employees can stay on their feet and take turns being the one who makes opportunity out of setback. People who use the Goodness Exchange every day have a spring in their step. They radiate joy and confidence and creativity because they know a far more complete picture of what's going on in the world. If you'd like to chat about infusing the culture where you work with a tone of celebration of goodness and innovation and progress, let's hop on a Zoom. You can introduce us to your HR director or your chief of culture. You know, if used consistently, our content can give companies a way to turn something aspirational like positivity into a concrete way of being. Thanks. Talk to us at the Goodness Exchange about change and flourishing where you work. Okay, we're back. Hey, I am having such a delightful conversation with Christian Haydn, who is the founder of levointernational.org, an amazing organization that's solving the problem of food insecurity and hunger and malnutrition all over the planet. And this, after, <laughs> after it started just six or seven years ago with the Eagle Scout project. So I love your work, Christian, in the hope that it brings us all, not only for the answers that your generation is going to bring to the world's problems, but also in the fact that each of us can look at what you're doing and see that our unique life experiences can bring us to what we're uniquely built to contribute, right? I'm sure that, you know, when you signed up for college, you had no idea you were going to be doing this, right? Well, actually, I kind of, I guess I kind of did because oh, maybe you did. Uh, this was in high school. I started it in high school. So I was one of the lucky, I actually got, was very lucky because I got to craft really my whole college experience around Levo and around making this growing the organization, which was really cool. So it was very lucky because I think a lot of people go into college with no idea with where they want to go and what they want to do. But I got to really focus and use the resources that UConn, for example, had for me and start to make connections and have an excuse to make connections and meet people. You know, that is a really good point. I, I hadn't quite thought of it that way. And that is quite the quandary for many, many college students is that if you have no idea, if you haven't stumbled upon your calling yet, you, you don't know what to learn. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation, I'm sure. I want to get a whole podcast on that one. 
Yeah. We could yeah. do a whole podcast on that, yeah. but maybe we will. Hey, and in our library of conversations, we do have a lot of folks your age who are amazing interview inter- innovators. And I, I could see you developing a conversation around that. <laughs> okay. But I want to talk before we wrap up. I want you to give us an idea about how volunteerism fits into this model too, because we've been talking about a market-based approach, but there's also this driving need in society for people to give back, for people to participate in their communities. And I, talk to us about that aspect of what you're doing. Yeah. So Levo is really a volunteer driven organization. So from the beginning, mostly a lot of the, the innovations that we made were are with volunteers and in partnership with volunteers. I and my father and my brother and a number of other people were, you know, some of my good friends were volunteers. And they're they're the reason that Lavo exists. And so I would ne- will never downplay <laughs> the importance of volunteerism and, and how incredible that can be. One of the things that we've learned in working with volunteers is you can make a whole lot happen with a couple really good volunteers. A whole lot of, of you know, you, a whole lot of people volunteer as like a casual thing and a good thing. It's not, a, I think that they can have, and that's one set of volunteering. And then you have the volunteers who are just all in and they are, they are making the base that they need in order to do that volunteering. And when you, when you get one, two of those people it's just incredible at what you can achieve with very little. And so that's what we really experienced was we just got a couple of really great people to hop on and, and work with us. And they have made a whole lot of difference in, in where we are today. And now we're, you know, we're working with dozens of volunteers on different projects on a regular basis. You know, next weekend, we'll have a group of a church group that'll be coming. That's been working closely with us from the beginning of the CSA. And They'll be building hydroponic systems, but we also have staff members who are volunteer. They are volunteer coordinators or they help us with social media. And those volunteers are up to in their 70s and down to 13. So we have a huge range of people who are involved and who really are, are making a difference in their spare time, right? Not as their not as their job. By the time this interview publishes, we will have an interview that people want to connect to just by based on what you just said, there's this amazing organization in this world now called pointapp.org, which I hope I'm going to make an introduction to you for. These folks have come up with an app that makes it as simple to volunteer tomorrow for a community project as it is to order a pizza. And if you've ever tried to do that, of course, it's way harder to know what's happening in your community first, to sign up and all the things. But this group has made it incredibly easy to just go with a gang of friends to a community garden project and then go out to brunch. Or for instance, Stephanie even says that it's a great way to, to do some dating, <laughs> volunteer for something that's happening in your community and see if, if you click, right? So in any case, the reason why I mention it here is because of what Christian just said, is that especially projects that are just getting off the ground, volunteerism is just so heavily reliant on you and I to get the balloon going up in the air, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Critical. Critical. Do you have any stories in, towards that end that you want to share? Yeah. My favorite, I might have to mention, I'll have to mention both of them because they both have been volunteers in different ways. But so I have, to this day, a great group of friends from high school. And I had a friend named Josh 
last spring when we were launching the CSA. And Josh had went to UConn with me. He went to high school with me and he had just finished his CPA and had some time between his master's and starting work at Deloitte. And so it was really from April to mid-April to mid-June. And we realized once we launched the CSA, we're like, oh, we are kind of in trouble here. We need to get this. We need to build so many systems. We need to get so much done. And, you know, I text Josh. Josh actually, you know, texts me and he's like, hey, I'd be happy to help out. And I was like, great. From basically mid-April to mid-May, Josh worked his tail off. Every day I'd pick him up from his mom's house because where he was staying before he moved to New York. And we, he worked the entire five days a week with me, including some weekend, like 40, 50 hours a week abs- no, for, as a volunteer. And he is a critical reason why the CSA worked as well as it did this year. He was actively not only building and setting up hydroponic systems and interacting with growers, but he was also a great fundraiser. We had him at events and he was speaking very eloquently about, about Levo. Um, and so, you know, I always hold Josh up as this, like, he just gave us a month and a half of work and he made, if he had not done what he did, the program could not have succeeded, mm-hmm. at least in the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that just month and a half really of work close to two months. He just changed, could have, you know, if this model continues and grows and becomes the, one of the leading models, he will have been a critical component of that. The same goes for my friend, Brian, who this is actually the year before, this is 2021 and 2020, Brian worked with me the entire summer, both of those summers. And now Brian is a critical member of our team here in the U.S. as a paid member of staff. But Brian, since high school, since the very beginning, has been volunteering and working with Levo until he became a part of the team. So he went down, actually, he and Josh went down in 2017 on our second trip to Haiti. And from that point, they have been critical to the development of the organization. And so those guys are really, I hold them up because they have been so critical throughout the organization. But there's, I mean, I could name a number of people who have just been very selfless and very focused on making this happen. And so I I feel a lot of times I get a whole lot of credit for Levo, but I think it's that underplays all of the people who have made this happen, including my father and my oldest brother, who have been working super hard, particularly my father, but also my older brother, on making this happen. So it's just, it's definitely never a one-man show. If you want to make change happen, it is never a one man or woman show, right? It is multiple people working together. Right? It is, we have a very individualistic at founders at startup and change here in, the, in America. And but once you open up the hood, you realize that it is a it's a group. It's always a group effort, and there's always lots of people who don't necessarily always get credit making the change mm-hmm. happen. And that's the reason why I wanted us to definitely dive that direction is to encourage people to find ways to connect with organizations like yours and countless others that are making the world a better place. Because it is such a win for both the organization, the community, and our own hearts and minds. So as we wrap up here, I want you to give us your take on two questions. 
I always like to wrap up on the question, what do you really wish people knew? Yeah. So I would say it's a little bit of, it's, it's kind of a twofer is first is that you and your choices matter and that you as an individual can make, I mean, the whole purpose of the podcast here is, is right. Highlighting all of these people who are actively choosing to make the world a better place and what in their own unique way. And I think what's really important is for people to recognize that and recognize that they themselves don't necessarily have to go and do something brand new. They can work with those people who are doing good and they can be a part of the change. They don't have to be creating something brand new and unique that's never been done before. Sometimes we just need to throw our energy behind stuff that exists. And so that's really something that I I hope and wish that people knew more is that they can make very large amounts of change with their personal time and their choices. And that really goes into our particular branch, which is food security in particular and the food system. And so I wish people knew really where their food comes from and why, why it matters. You know, agriculture is so separated from society. It's far away. You don't think about it. How did that tomato get in the grocery store? It just magically appeared, right? But not really, right? And why would someone ever want to buy our produce, right? It's, it may be twice as expensive as that tomato in the grocery store. But what most people don't recognize is that tomato, right, was grown in the Southwest using potentially migrant labor and heavy use of pesticides and super unethical environmental practices. And so it's, it's cheap, but someone pays for cheap food. Even if it's not you, someone's paying for that. And so the, what really needs to happen in the work that we're doing is we need to continue to be educating people about this is what the system looks like. And what you and here's an option. Here's an opportunity for you to not buy into right to use your dollars in a better way and invest in local agriculture, invest in local people right next door to you, and really break that systemic those systemic injustices that are occurring. So it's kind of a twofer, but they connect. And I bet you it connect that connects to my last question, which is. What has to happen next to ha- for levointernational.org to rise to the surface? Yeah. Well, it's not as simple, but it is at the same it is at the same time. I think we are at this critical point in the organization where we can we are building this model that can be scaled and replicated. And what we really need now is people to to back us and give us the resources Sources. Whether that's their time, whether that's dollars in the city of Hartford, you know, there's a lot of vac- vacant land, but we, you know, we need to, we need to, someone to give us access to that, right? So we can convert it into agricultural space. There, you know, we need people to come help us build hydroponic systems, and so it's really that that initial capital, whether that's time or it's people or it's space. That's the critical thing that needs to happen next. Is is, is spring is upon us, and we are. We need the community to come in and help us make this new model a reality. Okay, so where can people get a hold of you now? They're fired up. Oh, you can know what to do next. Yeah, yeah. So I would say the easiest thing is to go to our website, levointernational.org. You can also send us an email at either communications at levointernational.org or CSA at levelinternational.org. Those will send you in slightly different places, but they you'll get us. But yeah, 
the website. It is an exciting prospect to know that someone can connect with you and make a whole new world of possibility open up. Christian Hayden, thank you so much for joining us on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. You've given me no end to the hope and the joy and the optimism. And um, I hope I hope all of you will enjoy and dive into all these connections in the written article for this podcast that will be on the Goodness Exchange. And we hope the progress will carry that you that we've talked about will carry you through your week, and you will start finding all the wonder that we've been talking about. Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye bye.